Faith That Obeys Podcast 040, Colossians 2. During our last podcast about Romans 6, we saw that baptism is a participation in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the final step of faith a person takes who is ready to completely surrender their life to the Lordship of Jesus. To be sure, baptism is an act of faith. It is not a human work. In this podcast, we'll take a look at Colossians 2, 11 through 13. Here, we'll see the forgiveness of sins referred to as a circumcision. This scripture, probably more than any other, leads people to the erroneous conclusion that baptism is like circumcision, or there is some kind of metaphorical link between baptism and circumcision. We'll talk about that shortly. Now, let's listen to Colossians 2, 11 through 13. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Honestly, this scripture is pretty straightforward. First of all, it is about baptism, among other things, and it specifically uses that word. Notice, Paul is talking to people who have previously experienced everything he's about to review. It has already happened to them. This entire passage is written in the past tense. So, what happened? Well, first, in Christ, they were circumcised. Okay, so what, when, where, why, and how? What did this circumcision do? What was the effect? Paul said it put off the sinful nature. It cast off their sins. Was this a physical circumcision? No, it is a spiritual circumcision. Who does the circumcision? It is done by Christ, not by human hands. This is how we know it cannot be a physical circumcision because Jesus was not physically there. Is this a symbolic circumcision? No, it's something Christ really does to the obedient believer. It is the exact moment sins are forgiven. When and where did this circumcision happen for the Colossians? Was it when they said the sinner's prayer? Was it when they accepted Christ as their personal Lord and Savior? Was it when they were confirmed by a priest? Was it when their parents baptized them as an infant? No. It happened when they were buried with him in baptism and raised with him through their faith in the power of God. Paul points to the Colossians' baptism as the time and place where this spiritual circumcision occurred. Notice that when the person is raised, they're raised through their faith in the power of God, not in the power of baptism and not in the power of their good deeds or works, not in the power of their parents' faith. They are raised through their faith in the power of God. Notice, too, baptism and circumcision are in no way compared with each other. There is no symbolism, no metaphors, no similes. Baptism is simply the point in time 
when the circumcision by Christ occurred. Verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. So once again, Paul uses the past tense. He points the Colossians and himself back to a time before they were circumcised by Christ. At that time, before the circumcision, they were dead in their sins. They were destined for destruction. They were not on the road to eternal life. Then the circumcision happened. The result of this circumcision was that they were made alive with Christ. God forgave them all of their sins, not some of their sins, all of their sins. At A Faith That Obeys, we propose that baptism is connected to three amazing spiritual gifts, and we use scriptures which specifically mention them. They are the forgiveness of sins, the indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit, and the gift of eternal life. A saved person possesses all three because these three things are inseparable. Someone cannot be in a saved state who does not also have the Holy Spirit. One cannot have the Holy Spirit, but not the forgiveness of sins. A saved person can't have eternal life, but not have the Holy Spirit. You get the idea. By definition, a saved person or a Christian has all three. And all three are a result, a wonderful consequence of our obedience in baptism. How do we know this? Well, when we look at scriptures which contain both references to any of these gifts and also talk about baptism or obedience, we discover something amazing when we ask the question, do any of these ever appear before baptism or obedience to the gospel? The answer is no. Obedience to Christ always and absolutely precedes salvation. Where Romans 6 spoke of the born-again experience as a death, burial, and resurrection, Colossians 2 uses the term circumcision. This can cause some confusion. We should never equate baptism with circumcision. Circumcision was a command given to the Israelites in the Old Testament. They were to circumcise their male children eight days after birth. Circumcision was an Old Testament ordinance and with Jesus' death on the cross, the Old Testament was closed. Circumcision was no longer required. Baptism is a New Testament ordinance based on the instructions given by Jesus during the Great Commission. It is a command which his disciples are required to perform on anyone who wishes to join them. Obedience to this command is not optional or open to debate, just as circumcision was not optional or debatable. Since a disciple is required to perform baptism on anyone wishing to become a Christian, this by definition implies that all Christians have been baptized using the biblical method of immersion. So the circumcision mentioned in our Colossians passage is not Old Testament circumcision. It mentions Old Testament circumcision so that the people understand something is being cut off or removed. In this case, sin. Another problem arises from the first. When folks equate baptism with circumcision, they get the idea that infants should be baptized. There's no connection. There's no link. Colossians 2 offers a very clear description of what happens in baptism. 
our sinful nature, indeed our sins themselves, are removed forever by Christ as he performs his graceful circumcision. We are made alive with him at the time of this circumcision. We know this circumcision occurs in a water baptism because we see a burial and a resurrection. We are raised or born again, not through our good works, but through our faith in the power of God. An evangelical's main argument in using Colossians 2 as a water baptism proof text is to claim that it is not water baptism. It's a spiritual baptism. From our previous studies, we know it is actually both. At the exact same time a person is obeying Jesus' command to be baptized, Christ is performing his saving circumcision. It all happens at the same time. I love the Colossians 2 explanation of baptism. It is clear and it's easy to understand. The only time we get tripped up is if we define the baptism as exclusively a spiritual baptism. It's not. Colossians 2 is an awesome testimony to God's love, power, and plan for those who have a faith that obeys. Well, thanks for listening. Join the argument at www.faiththatobeys.org slash blog.